0: DGFG is proud to present Grabbing the Mic with Nikki Judge and Friends, a podcast with a purpose where real and raw conversations are had about real world experiences happening in society on a daily basis. Real talk leading to a greater awareness and understanding in areas of social injustices and marginalized communities, entrepreneurship, gender equality, and empowerment, politics, science, adversity, finding promise, positivity, and inspiration, and so much more. So get comfortable and get ready for great talks and many moments of laughter with
1: Nikki. All right. Thank you all for tuning back in because I have a special announcement, announcement, (laughs) announcement. How about that? (laughs) DGFG has decided that my favorite co-host is now a permanent thing. Congrats, Carrie, and welcome to Grabbing the Mic with Nikki and Carrie. I almost said with Carrie, with Carrie and Nikki, which Carrie wants it that way. She wants her name first because she's literally taken over my podcast but that's fine everybody loves your voice anymore Carrie so since this is now your show why don't you tell us who we have today as a guest because I know she's your favorite but that's fine that's fine Carrie tell us who (laughs)
0: well thank you so much for that warm warm welcome (laughs) uh yeah no I'm super excited to be co-hosting with you it's not just it's not just Nikki's podcast anymore so suck it. All right. Um, we have today, super excited, we welcome back Portia Birch with us. Thank you for coming back, Portia. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here.
2: Finally. Finally. has been weird. So glad yeah. I'm back.
0: Yeah. I'm glad that we could connect. I know it's been a little crazy this last, I don't know, it's been a month, I think.
2: Like month. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So today's um, podcast is actually going to be about a really big, huge thing. And um,
1: I am excited to hear your
0: input about it. So
1: and let me tell you, I'm not going to tell people what it's about, but I I'm glad we're having this talk because when it was brought up, I've been thinking about it ever since. And I don't mm-hmm. even I can't even wrap my brain around how this would even work. This idea. Right. So. Right.
0: So what we're going to talk about today is the um, absolute corruption that is our current prison system. Um, I actually had to do some research because I was like one years old when I found out that um, there were a lot of privately owned prisons. I didn't know. I had no idea. Uh, And I think a lot of people maybe aren't aware or, or maybe I'm just dumb.
1: I literally just found that out in this one second. So I am one second old. (laughs) I don't
2: (laughs) you're a newborn I don't think so much that it's not I'm I'm never gonna call anybody dumb for not knowing anything that's number one number two I think that because there's such a stigma around the prison industry complex to begin with that a lot of people don't deep dive into what it means what it actually means and the history behind it right I think the concept too that people when people think about having a prison that's for profit it's a it's a gross thought because you're truly profiting off of people um and people would like to believe that that doesn't exist anymore with the ending of slavery but as it turns out it does every day and the prison system is the biggest way that, that happens so yeah a lot of privately owned prisons a lot of obviously state factioned and state-owned prisons they're all for profit at the end of the day but yeah people yeah, will I- actually privately own a prison
0: Yeah. So I actually did some research on it um, and I found out that the two largest private prison companies have spent thirty five million dollars on lobbying and campaign contributions since 1989. Um, And what that does is it equals the number of, you know, so the prisoner number of prisoners housed in private facilities jumped sixteen hundred percent since 1990. Um, and, and I also learned through my research because I have to really look this stuff up, you know, I don't know. Um, is that, um, you know, not only, you know, so they're lobbying for stricter laws so that they can get more people in prison so they can make more money. It's just an absolute shitstorm of corruption.
2: It is. It is is truly. So some people, I think too, when we talk about the, the PIC, the prison industry complex, Um, Again, we have to call it what it is. Prison is an industry. It is a part of capitalism, just like anything else is in this world. So the fact that the only way to get certain people to lobby for certain things to be considered a crime is just so people can then be arrested and be housed in these, these units is disgusting overall, right? Like we can't get laws passed that make the most sense to actually keep people safe we're then instead focusing on passing these laws to house people and keep them in prison. Whereas if you think about it, that number that you gave that $35 million that was lobbied, if if we think about what could have been done with that $35 million to be proactive as to what's getting people actually imprisoned, could you imagine like the work that we can do? Absolutely. And that's that's kind of, that's why it's so important. You know, We're not spending our money in the right place. We're not putting our efforts in the right place. And, and it gets scary when we start talking about it because you say the words prison abolition and to breaking down the prison industry complex into actually getting rid of prisons. The first initial thought is where do the bad guys go, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And you think of prison as it's just a holding tank for all these really, really bad people in society. And thank goodness they're there and we're out here. So we're being protected.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. But if we think about what got somebody to the point that they committed these crimes, and that's the part that we don't think about, right? We don't think about um, what could have happened in somebody's life to get to the point that they had to do anything that is deemed a crime.
0: Right. Absolutely. Right. And I think about, you know, our last podcast was about gun control and, Um, We had an attorney on, uh, Mark Reichel, and he was talking about um, the mental health crisis and how, uh, you know, it's just atrocious. And really, there's there's not a whole lot of comprehensive, really healthy ways to help those in mental crises, you know, that have mental health issues. So if we were to put that money towards those types of programs and to all kinds of programs, I mean, it's really endless, the possibilities that we could do with that kind of money.
2: It absolutely is. It absolutely is. If you and, and even looking, diving into what happens in prisons and what ideally is supposed to happen, because I think that the concept or what people want to believe is that prison is a place for reform. It, that's a load of crap. It's not actually true because there's not actually any programs that are being um, being held at the level that they should be. I feel like there's just enough to hit like the state minimum of okay. We have to acknowledge the fact that people don't have education. So we have to make sure that people are getting their GAD at least. We have to make sure that people are at least working. We have to make sure that we're at least talking about healthcare. Um, But it's not comprehensive healthcare. It's not comprehensive mental healthcare. Uh, The schooling is mediocre at best. It's usually some tired person that just does not really want to teach. So we're not actually giving out education so that people, when they are released, that they have the tools that they need to actually change or address the trauma that got them there. I don't believe that anybody inherently wakes up and says, I'm just going to commit crimes. Now, yes, there are studies that have done about mental health and different defects and all that good things. But generally, if you have somebody that is serving time, there was a reason that got them there, right? Even if it's gang violence, well, why did they get into a gang? Because they didn't have anybody at home to take care of them. So they look for their own family. So if we talk about the home life and why they weren't taken care of at home, that's our real concern, but we don't, we don't focus on that. We focus on getting them housed into a prison and then not doing anything with it.
0: Do you see a, uh, you know, you said the home life and stuff, and that brings me back to our first podcast. It takes me back to our podcast with um, Loretta King, where I learned a whole lot about Slavery and the breakdown of black families and how, um, you know, black women were sort of um, taught to be extremely independent because the men were being broken down and the whole family unit was being, you know, broken apart. And it's just this horrific Mm -hmm. cycle. And here it is, you know, today where, you know, obviously there's, you know, I, I, I honestly don't have the statistics. So and you might, but like I would imagine that it's an extremely large population of black uh, people in prison, people of color in prison. Um, and it all just seems to all just kind of cycle, cycle back to like the dawn of when uh, the dawn of our nation really.
2: Yes, absolutely. The, the number of black and brown people that are housed in prisons versus white people is drastically out of line, but that ties into a lot. Right. Um, and This is me kind of like figuring out how to just focus this is like a heavy topic obviously we talked about this um you know and we talk about like you know like the family life and how how it's considerably different but it's always going to come back to the fact that we live in a racist world right so um the the home lives of the black and brown people that have been imprisoned looks considerably different or for the most part looks considerably different than their white counterparts right And that's because of the systemic racism that's been in place. So that's always going to to up that number there. And then we talk about how racist the judicial system is. So when we talk about, you know, two people going before a judge for essentially the same crime, and the only difference being their their skin tone, their race, and you see how many more Black and brown people get sentenced for a crime that white people just don't. We're talking drug crimes we're talking domestic crimes we're talking violent crimes um there's not there's not a level playing field for how justice looks like that either so um it's easy to say that yes we need to talk about the home life but again i'm going to go ahead and say we need to go beyond that and, and figure out where we're still in such a racist society but it does come from like the broken homes, you know, it comes from, and maybe not even a broken home, but a home where it's just not your traditional setting. Sometimes it's not even that somebody didn't have the family that they needed at home, but they didn't have the resources that they need. How many times do we see a child maybe stealing something from a store because he didn't have any food at home?
0: Right. Right.
2: And, and I think that's what it comes down to, you know, and I've, I've thought about this and kind of like how to uh, like talk about it the most to make it make the most sense. Right. With, with, abolishing prisons um and it ties in a lot with the work that i'm doing recently with like black and pink and our opportunity campus i'll touch on that later but it's always going to come down to the fact that it is easier to toss aside people that have done what's considered wrong instead of figuring out why we got to that point
0: right absolutely
2: and that's a a fight that i'll have for anybody sure
0: Yeah, it's a whole lot easier just to throw throw somebody, you know, into a, in a cell and, and throw away the key and just not think about it.
2: Yeah, it's considerably easier to do that and to say, okay, here, I'm going to sentence you for three to five years. And then that's right three to five years. Make sure that you don't get into any trouble. Make sure that you follow all the programs that are in place. Um, but nothing about here, this is what I'm going to actually do to help you figure out how that when you do leave, you are set to make sure that you're fine, not just don't go out and commit a crime again. Because if we don't teach people or if we don't find out what people need to make them feel safe, to make things feel accessible, to make it feel like they can actually be successful, then all we're doing is just releasing them into the same environment that they were in before. And as humans, we are gonna fall back on what we know to make ourselves feel safe or to get what we need. That's just human nature. Right. You know, that's, that's something that's just normal. Right. And, and without this... having policies in place and procedures in place and programs in place to say, okay, this is how you balance a checkbook. This is how you apply for a job. This is how you stay in tune with your mental health. Let's have these conversations. It's just that cycle just keeps repeating itself. It's crazy
1: too. Cause I'll know a lot of people that get released from prison and they'll say, all I learned in prison was how to be a better criminal. So then they get mm-hmm. out, and like you said, and they're in the same environment, they're in the same places, and now they're committing crimes. But now they feel they've been better trained to commit those crimes. Do you know what I mean? Right. So it, it in in prison, it's that that that's what they're learning right now because that you know they're not like you said. There's not a lot of programs that are substantial that are provided to them, other than training from no. their peers on how to be a better
2: criminal. And I'm gonna challenge your language there because it's. Um it, it looks like that they're becoming better criminals, but really what they're learning is better survival tactics. Because the carceral system is just as dangerous and just as volatile as the real world is, we just have people in place that have badges and guns that get to say that their rule is a law, because they work there. Sure. So, um, and, and that's, that's what it is. So that's that mindset of they, they learn how to survive while they're inside. And then those tactics carry to when they're released because we haven't given them tools to learn how to survive that doesn't involve in some way doing something that's considered illegal right, right. um you have the, the things that happen in prisons are the things that happen in everyday life there's sex work in prison there's uh drug dealing in prison there is um all sorts of these things happening that are just a matter of survival to make sure that somebody makes it to the next day and it's wild it's just it's absolutely wild you know um yeah it's just wild i think sometimes it's just best to leave it and it's just wild to think about
0: sure sure so portia how what would it look like to you to abolish the prison system what would, what 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 does that even
2: look like do you mean just it does not have the prison industry complex as a whole yeah to me to me it looks like um essentially rehab centers it's i think that's the best way to say it in a way that makes the most sense and it sounds relatable um so we have there's still places in place they're usually mental health facilities that are still part of the institutional uh, industry but housing if we're going to send anybody somewhere else because they committed a crime or because they broke the law the law that's been established by the judicial system then it looks to me that they're in housing where they still have access to actual meals they have access to actual working um so they can actually work a job and not just work for a dollar 23 a day because that's what most prisoners make and that's on the high end sometimes it's 18 cents a day um it'll look where we have trained staff that is actually there to do the work that needs to be done so train mental health staff trained um, physical health staff so that we can have comprehensive health care for everybody involved it will have um, programming again for schooling true schooling where it's more than just your ged and then if we want to go beyond that into college courses but there's accessibility there um work training resume training essentially a place of programming where somebody is housed in that time And then for nobody to make money off of that. This country makes it has too much money to have to spend a dime on reforming the people that they claim to love so much. We talk so much about how the United States of America is the best country in the world, which I think I've shared my opinion on that, and it's crap. But if we want to say that that's actually true and maybe show that, then let's spend the money on taking care of our people and not just tossing them aside. And there's no reason why we can't do that for every prison that's there that can turn into a rehab center that has actual resources that make an actual change i'm not saying that we don't have to house people when a law is broken we need to figure out why that law was broken and make sure it doesn't happen again and we can't do that without actually touching people we can't do that without actually spending time with people so as quickly as we can send somebody to rehab because they have a drug problem then let's them to rehab because they've broken a law and let's find out why they broke that law. Anybody that's been to rehab, even if it's just been like an AA meeting with another friend, we talk about what got us there, right? Like, this is why I started using. This is why I started drinking. This is why of all of this. And there's the conversations. Okay, so I have this trauma that I have to unpack and I deal with that. But there's these conversations to get to the point that we stop doing the behavior that we are doing before. Why can't we do that with any other "Quote unquote transgression in this world, right? That's what that's what it looks like.
0: So, and so when you when you talk about that, it sounds like a great idea. It sounds amazing, Mm -hmm. but it also sounds huge, right? And I imagine that it would be should anybody want to take, you know, should a group of people or whatever government um, take on that challenge, um. And are there? Do you know of of you know some organizations that are actually looking at at that and and kind of pushing towards some semblance of not of of getting of doing away with this mass incarceration of people for mm-hmm. profit?
2: Black and Pink is that's the organization that I work for. We're an abolitionist okay. organization um, with a focus on prison abolition, but we're an abolitionist organization. And abolition work is really just tearing down these systems that are in place of oppression. And so, yes, it can work. And it sounds really big. And you make it like I actually love that you said that. It sounds like a really big idea, right? And it sounds extreme. And how can we make that work? How can we not? In Nebraska alone, we have three prisons, three, four, four prisons, four prisons with people on staff that are correctional officers. And then also your nurses and your healthcare and then everybody else it, it it sounds big but it's really as magical as taking those correctional officers out of the picture because those are people that are just applying more oppression and putting people in place staff of mental health care staff we can we can make it happen we just have to redesign what's already there we have to tear down this prison mindset of you don't have any autonomy, you're just a number, we tell you exactly what to do, when to do it, and where to be and where to be there, and all of these other rules. And instead we make that reformative. We teach reform, right? We can talk about gun reform, we wanna do gun law reform, because we wanna change that because what is in place isn't working. Um, We can do criminal justice reform too. What's currently in place isn't working. That's why people keep getting imprisoned because we're not addressing the main issue. We're not resolving the trauma that's actually happening in real life. So it sounds really big, but it doesn't just, it's just really like a switch in your mind, take what's already there and redo it. Break down what's there, break down like the, the program, break down the system that's not working and make it work. Then it just comes down to obviously finding people that want to do this work, but there are people that are in line to do this work that don't even realize it, right? People are abolitionists every day without even knowing that they're doing it. I was talking to my executive director a little bit earlier and she was saying, you know, she's a size 16 and she goes into a store and if she can't find anything her size, that's a system of oppression. We can't ask every store to have every single size. That's right. But she knows that that store is not going to work for her because she doesn't. There's nothing there that works for her. Right. So she goes and she finds another store, or maybe she just creates her own store. Mm-hmm. Something to break down that system of oppression. Mm-hmm. People do it all the time with like schooling. You know, they build like these uh, schools, whether it's the charter schools or they have these different rules for who can who can attend this school or who can't, based off uh, based off of where you live. There's all these different systems in place that were like, oh, that doesn't work, so we tear it down, so we've abolished it. And it sounds great doing that, but that prison abolition is too tricky, but it's possible. It's just it's that mindset.
0: Do you think that the that the prison abolishment should happen um piecemealed, you know, in different regions? Or how so so black and pink, um, is mm-hmm. that um uh, nationwide? Is it, is it only in Nebraska? Tell me a little bit more about No, that.
2: It's a national organization and we have chapters in Chicago, Boston, Seattle, Portland, um, Atlanta, New Jersey, Idaho. And then we have staff just kind of across the country. So we're, we're countrywide. It's not mm-hmm. just here in Omaha. We just have the national office here. Um, and as far as doing it like regionally, no, I think this is something that would need to take place kind of nationally because if we do it regionally then we're still upholding systems of oppression we're still right. upholding Absolutely. bias to certain areas you know right. Right. um and it's one of those things that and that's a completely valid question because it does make sense and i think the other thing too is that i think that people sometimes hear abolishing prison meaning just randomly release people right yes right. we would love to see people go home to their families, but that doesn't do what i'm talking about which is creating the reform that's necessary that Mm -hmm. doesn't tap into past trauma that has gotten people to where they currently are so it's not just about let's let them go free let's support them so that when we let them have their own lives that they have the tools that are necessary now, right. there are some people that I believe that are incarcerated right now that should go home because they're serving time for things that they just shouldn't be. Right. Like we could talk about decriminalizing marijuana. That's a whole other situation too. No, but no, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but it's not just about like opening the floodgates and just, you know, saying here, go home. That negates everything that I, that I believe in in making sure that people are okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We can have systems in place, they just shouldn't be systems where people are being oppressed. They need to be systems where people are being uplifted and supported.
1: Makes sense to me. Okay, so I have a question here because this is just where my brain goes. So I think of like people who have committed heinous crimes, murders, child molesters, those kind of things. And uh-huh. when when you say let's like uplift them, And help them, do you think that there are some people that are in the prison system, murderers, child molesters, those kind of things, that those are people that are worth uplifting and supporting when there's a good chance they're going to do it again or there's a good chance that even if you got, because some of these people, they've gotten to the bottom of why they have done these things, but there's Mm -hmm. really not anything stopping them. And even some of them say the only way I'll stop is by being locked up like do you think that there's some situations where these people can't be uplifted and supported
2: no i don't and the reason why is that people that have gotten to why they've done it and and they'll say again the only reason that i'm going to stop doing it is if i'm in prison it's because we still haven't done it just because we've gotten to why they've done it have we helped them
0: right so maybe they don't even know that there's alternatives
2: exactly um I'm always gonna <laughs> I'm always gonna advocate for for any human life. Um, now, I can advocate for life while recognizing while recognizing that there are some situations that are just completely out of our control, right? Um, but even doing that work of saying, okay, so you have somebody who has murdered somebody, for whoever that person is, why ever they did it. What are we going to do to make sure that they don't do it again? Besides just keeping them locked up. I don't know. There are some things that I just don't have answers to, but I do believe sure. that we should at least try, you know, right. I do right. believe that the effort should be there. And we're going to get to those situations that you just recognize that it's a lost cause. It's no different than like trying to get back with your ex too many times. Like, oh, <laughs> maybe. and then you're right. like, no, <laughs> it's yeah. a lost right. cause, right. but it's not without trying. And, um, and it's, it's very easy. And I, it, especially when we start talking about like, um, different crimes that have happened, especially if they start hitting home, mm-hmm. um, then it's really hard to separate that mindset of, okay, well, this is what this person did. And it this touches into something in my life, some trauma that I might have, or some history that I might have. And it, it, it gets more difficult. These are all things that make sense. You know, we're all fallible. We're all humans, but just as quickly as we can set aside personal feelings to establish laws or just as quickly as we can introduce personal feelings to establish laws we can do both of those two to figure out what reform actually looks like right you know and and i think that's the missing piece sometimes is the reform piece people forget that the reason why prisons were originally brought about was to reform quote unquote criminals i hate that word people that have committed crimes Mm -hmm. um people Mm -hmm. first language but it was, it was designed for reform. Mm-hmm. The only problem is, is that the prisons and the people that run them, that establish them, that control them, forgot about that reform piece. There's not actually any reform happening. It's just housing for people that we just want to get rid of.
0: Right. And I, I know that, like, I was thinking about... Um... Everything that happened during, you know, that's happening during the pandemic, but mostly last year when there was, you know, rampant cases of COVID and these prisoners uh, in in prisons and they were just having the worst time getting everybody tested. And then how do you, um, how do you keep, you know, the people who tested positive for COVID away from the people who... (laughs) were negative and it was just a shit show of like right. trying and and that's just a small example of a, of a unique situation but i know that there's so much uh corruption and just horrible um conditions and in, in, a, in a, most of these prisons um all, of them. Just eating, say all of them just all Let's of them the okay i'll does. say all of them <laughs> 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 i'll say all of them um so yeah, I mean, it, and so along, so along with you know this this idea of of abolishing prisons comes, you know, this other huge task of okay, so we're gonna abolish the prisons, um, turn them into or move people into you know um, um, like a reform type scenario uh-huh. situ- center um and then and then there has to i mean it's there's just so many um tasks that come along with with what needs to be fixed right and it sounds like your company is is tackling all of them which is quite that's what we want to do that's what we want to do
2: it it, it's it's so if we talk about um and obviously just called you on a task like yes say all of them because it's true um but we want to make sure that if somebody is going to be housed they're at least safe one of the things one of the things that we even do is we want to make sure that our people that are inside have access to safe sex. Mm -hmm. We have to recognize the fact that people that are housed in prisons are having sex, right? We also need to make sure that they have access to comprehensive healthcare because people in prisons are also being raped. Mm -hmm. And these are things that are happening at the, at the hands of whether it's other people that are serving time with them or it's the staff the amount of sexual assault cases that have been done against people that are housed in prisons by staff because it's a level of power that's there is Mm -hmm. disgusting. That number would just, it would disgust you, it would turn your stomach. Mm -hmm. Um, But so there's that piece into it. Then the fact that drugs are getting into the prison and the drugs are getting into the prison by way of the correctional officers. So yeah, we need this to look like we need it to look like a place where it's people first, mm-hmm. right? Where it's, okay, we are here. And by we, I mean the staff, we are here to figure out what we can do to help you.
0: Right. Right. How and turn them back can into we their names. help you? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Address them by their names and not by their numbers.
2: Exactly that. Exactly that. My, um, my executive director, Dominique Morgan, for the longest time, she had her social media with her prison number behind it. She had hats that she wore with her prison number on it because she reclaimed that. And so that's her story and I think that's fantastic. But there are people that when they have left prison, that their first response is if their name is called to rattle off their prison number. Right. Right. What kind of existence is that? Mm-hmm. If that's if that's if that's the legacy that somebody left a place that was supposed to be a reform that's not the legacy that should be there
0: right no it's so true it's so and it and it becomes second nature right i mean we've all seen um prison shows prison movies that uh-huh. sort of make it like intriguing and fascinating but it is just an extremely sad situation right and these repeat uh, quote unquote offenders, you know, and and they're just you know because it once I think once that ball st- starts rolling and you're you're noticed by law enforcement or you have a record or whatever, yes. it just becomes so much easier to get back into that because now you're you've been caught up in the in the big machine.
2: That is what that is what people that have been in prison are known for. They right. lose their autonomy. Yeah, and. And I and I want to make sure that I'm using the correct language. They don't lose their autonomy. It's stolen from right. them.
0: We like to um, talk about at least in this podcast how what what can you and I and Nikki and someone listening do mm-hmm. uh, do? What can we actually do that's an effective that we can feel like we're we're helping in some way? because it does seem sure. daunting if you're not part of the organization that you're part of, or, you know, just, just somebody listening in their car or at home.
2: Right. Uh, the first thing I would say to do is, uh, research. Obviously that's always gonna be my answer. Go to blackandpink.org. That's okay. the website for the organization. It's just truly blackandpink.org. Okay. Um, read up on the history of what we do and why we do it. Um, and ask questions, mm-hmm. um, reach out to us. We have an we have an email address that you can send questions to. We have a pen pal program, if you feel comfortable doing that, writing to somebody that's in prison. Um, that right there, that pen pal program is huge because again, it makes somebody real. It personalizes, it gives people back that personalization. Um, so those are some personal things that you can do. I'll always say donate, if you can donate, donate, donate. Mm -hmm. um because this is something that it's going to take money right we can get the government to throw money at justice or what's considered criminal justice but we can't get the government to throw money at what's actually considered reform so that's that helps them too Mm -hmm. but honestly uh on a personal level is change your mindset you know um start changing your language is something that's very simple so because when we start to do that then we start to again personalize it so um criminals people that have committed crimes um prisoners people that are in prison um making it people first recognizing that people that are serving time in prison are actually people we are talking about people we're talking about human beings right and and in some ways thinking about could that have been me is there something in my life that happened that i was privileged enough to either have support to come out of that or I had the mental fortitude to recognize that what I'm doing doesn't work and I need to stop before I get into quote unquote trouble mm-hmm. or you had somebody that just said, Hey, and shook your shoulders and said, what are you doing? Let's figure out what's going on. Let's get your mind, right?
0: Right. And, and I'm sure you think everybody about can, that. Yeah. I'm sure everybody okay. can identify with that. There's gotta be something in your life where you're just like, man, I'm so lucky that I, that I stopped doing that or that I, got out of that or whatever
2: all of that all of that something as simple as and this is i mean this is nothing obviously to brag about but how many times have we gone out to the bar had even just a drink and drove home oh yeah yeah wrong place wrong time wrong police officer wrong anything and it can Mm -hmm. turn drastically different or it's raining or something happens you know, so there. You can't tell me that every person in this world has had at least one instance that they're like, "Man, that could have gone drastically different."
0: Sure, yeah. No, it's so true. So true. Right. Um, yeah. Or I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Nikki has actually a unique um, story. She had a run-in with the law um,
1: when she was she was eighteen. Here, let me, let me, let's pass this over. <laughs> I had just turned 18 and I was living in an apartment that I actually got when I was 17. And there was this kid in the neighborhood who would like break people's glasses and he'd break people's, uh, pop people's tires and stuff. And I had a roommate who came home who asked for a tattoo. She wanted me to write some guy's name on the back of her leg. And I'm like, I don't know how to do tattoos, but she's like, no, here's, here's this, this homemade tattoo gun and just tattoo his name on the back of my leg. So I was like, all right, I set up this little station. Well, this 16-year-old kid was riding by, and he's like, I want a tattoo. And I'm like, come here, I'll show you what it feels like. Really with no intention of ever showing him, but he basically put his arm up, and I held it at an angle, and the wheel hit his arm, and he jumped. And the needle poked him one time. Well, his mom was like a horrible drug addict, and he went home and told her that I tattooed him. And then she pressed charges against me because she thought she could get – civil take me to civil Ah. court and try to sue me for money but you know when I came home there was just a sign on the door for me to call and I called and I turned myself in and it was almost one of those things like they looked like looked at me and I don't even know what happened they took one look at me and then somehow I'm in court I got sentenced to eight days work project I had to go in and do like formal drug t- testing once a month, even though I had no history of being on drugs or anything. But I mean, they just threw the book at me. I'm sure the only reason why I didn't end up having to go to jail was probably because I was white. So they're uh-huh. like, well, she's white. She, we'll, you know, we'll have her do all this other drug testing and all this other stuff and have her do work project. But it was like, there was no, you know, if I was bad enough person to go or for them to think I was a bad enough person to have to do drug testing and to have to do a uh, work project, but they didn't offer me any program. They didn't offer me anything right. to, you know, anything. They just assumed, I guess, that I was a drug addict. And, but here, go, go work for us for eight days and do labor and mow our yards and put our decals on our sheriff cars and all that kind of stuff, you know, and it, and so that was, that's my own. So, and then I got a misdemeanor and I was on probation for four years which was crazy for one, one dot, and the only reason why the mom couldn't press charges against me was because when I went in there, somebody else's attorney whispered in my ear and said, "Plead no contest," and so I said no contest, which I didn't know meant I was pleading that I was guilty. But if I pled no contest, then the mom couldn't sue me late, later in in a civil in a civil case.
2: Right, because so, so it wasn't an admission or denial of guilt. That's right. That's why. Right. Um, and I, but
1: I had no money for an attorney. I had no money for nothing. I didn't. It was one of those. I didn't really know why I was there. I just walked in and I'm like, I didn't even know what was going on. And then they kind of threw the book at me and did everything but put me in jail.
2: And all of that to say, what did you learn from that?
1: Um, like, I, I mean, I mean,
2: we could be, we could be realistic. You probably learned like, just don't do that shit anymore. But like, you were taught nothing. you were you you were looked at you were sentenced to eight days and you were sentenced to some labor for something that has nothing to do with anything that you were convicted of right and then given four years probation where i i'm pretty sure that your probation officer didn't it were you was your well-being checked on were they making sure that you were doing anything other than not committing more crimes like
1: Actually I had nobody ever even came to my house, nobody ever checked on me. I had to go into a clinic once a month and just do a urine a urine test. And like you said, even at work project, you know, it was like we went around and they had the trustees come in from the prison. So it was me, three other girls, and then all men. And then the trustees would like take Paris up. So then it was like me and this guy Johnny were out riding around bicycles to go fix sprinklers. And the next thing I know, I'm back. He's like, here, let's go back here. And the next, and then he's like, here, let's just sit here for a little for a minute. And then I realized I'm sitting out behind the bushes where nobody can see me <laughs> with <laughs> the trustee who's like asking me for my number and then trying to get me to bring him in porno magazines and hide him under the toilet in the bathroom. And yeah. like I thought about it because I want to be liked and I wanted this trustee Johnny to like me because he was a cool guy. You know, so you were doing survival it, tactics. Right, right. And then I'm like, geez, I'm out here. Now. Of course, my answer is yes, Johnny, whatever you want. I mean, we're out here in the bushes and nobody can see me right now. <laughs> right. You know, but you're right. I mean, I learned I learned absolutely nothing. I didn't even learn how to cut a yard properly out there because they gave me like a handheld like scissors. I was cutting grass with scissors. I didn't even have tools out there. <laughs> They're like, go mow that yard, but we're going to give you some some chicken cutting shears out here. Have fun. Good luck.
2: We'll see you in six hours. Yeah, um, I, did have a,
1: I did have a killer tan, though, when I was done. See, so there
2: you go. There you go. But that's, that's it. And, and just like this, this story, and thank you so much for sharing that, by the way, because I will always say thank you for sharing your experience. But you have literally proven the point of why the the current criminal justice system the carceral system makes no sense when it comes to actual reform that small instance was nothing about your experience after the fact says oh okay well we figured out why that happened and now we know like why she did it and now she's not going to do it again because we've addressed it and we recognize what this trauma is and 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 trauma is a big bad word but it's, it's trauma is what it is you know like i have trauma from I don't know, from snakes. I hate 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 snakes.
0: So does Mickey, dramatic yeah.
2: as incident, right? So like trauma looks, it, it looks very different and we can't say that one situation is or isn't trauma, whatever the case may be, but you, nothing happened in that instance to say, we're going to make sure Nikki doesn't do that again. So really everything that you went through was completely pointless, other than the fact that you know, because of that, no, thank you. I don't want to have to serve time, right? That's where exactly. we're at. Exactly. Yeah. And that's not enough. That's not enough. We don't, we, it shouldn't just be enough to scare people, not to be in prison. We need to, 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 to shake people, to get to their truth, to figure out why they started making these decisions as means of survival. What have we lacked? What have we kept from you in this world, in your life that you felt that you didn't have this tactic of support? that you didn't have this access to, here is what I need to make my situation better, or here is who I go to, to make my situation better, right? Because sometimes it's not as easy as here, this is what you need to make things better, but here's somebody that you can talk to, to get to behind the, the, the reasoning as to where you're here. We forget that part. We are just, we're, we're not people first as a country. And I think this last year has proven that with how we've handled and mishandled and mismanaged COVID. You Mm -hmm. know, we're literally the worst country with handling this pandemic right now because we're not people first. We're profit first. We're a capitalistic country. um, And we only care about the bottom dollar and we only care about tucking things away so we don't have to worry about them in the moment. And this is why this shit keeps happening. This is why we keep repeating these same instances. This is why we have people that are reoffending. This is why the recidivism rate is so high because we are not taking care of our people.
0: Right. Right. I mean, Nikki's family is, we joke about it, but it's, it is a, a situation where like, you know, both her parents have been in and out of prison. Um, her, her brother, you know, it's, it's, uh, actually she has a unique, um, story about that. Um, do you want to tell your story about when you went to go visit?
1: I feel like I have. I told that before. I feel like I might have. Well, it, they- anyways, it, it was like Christmas and I went to go. My brother was in jail and I went to go visit him. And when I went to the front, they asked me for they asked you for the last name. And I said, judge. And they said, well, is that Anna Marie Paul or Bo? And I was like, Anna Marie Paul. Bo?" I'm like, holy crap. That's my mom, my dad and my brother. All three of them are in jail. Like I'm the only judge not in jail. Right now. Uh And then so I went up and I visited my brother and then I let him know that because I thought maybe they were all together and they weren't none of none of the others knew that the others were in prison together. But it was just so weird. And then it's like I walk out and I'm like, oh, my God, I am literally the only family member on Christmas not in jail right now. And then and that was just kind of and actually me not going to jail and my family has made me. The black sheep. Like I should have been the black sheep for other reasons, but in my family, it's the opposite. Because I'm not a criminal. Because I have been successful, then I'm I'm of no value. Like I am the black sheep in the family, or they think I think I'm better than all of them because I just didn't take the same path that they did. Although I have a misdemeanor, so I do have a little bit of street cred. Now but that's
2: <laughs> that's that's wild, though. But that's I mean that's just thinking. It's 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 institutionalized thinking which is something that's not talked about enough too. And institutionalized thinking also ties into those survivor tactics. And so it does make sense that your family feels some type of way that you're not experiencing life the same way that they are, right? Um, And because again, we're so system focused first, instead of spending more time with your family, and figuring out how to break the cycle that has now three of your family members that are in prison on the holidays, it's now focused on let's uplift Nikki for not being in prison. Which yes, I mean that's great, that's fantastic. But why can't we uplift the people that are in prison? Why are you here? What what happened? You know. And then obviously you're going to have the answer. Well, sure. I mean, I, I did this and went to court and I was convicted and I was sentenced. Right. But what happened to make you commit the act that got you in front of a judge?
0: Right. And I think that I and I totally understand what you're saying. And I and I think that um, a lot of like because they have habitually been in and out, it Uh would be so helpful and it would have been. I mean, it it all goes back to what we talked about in the very beginning of this podcast where it's like if you could help identify the issues that happen in their childhoods or in their young adulthood to get them to that point where they actually, you know, committed that first offense or got into some trouble, like how did they get there and how can we prevent you from from not going back to that place? Right. Um, It would have been I mean, her her childhood would have been completely different and who knows you know like if the cycle that could have possibly prevented you know been prevented
2: that could have stopped absolutely it could have stopped i mean we yeah. think about it, think about something like this you know if you think about a daycare right so you've got the the, the daycare provider the child care provider that's there with like six kids you've got kid a that punches kid b in, in the shoulder ideally what's going to happen is hey why did you punch so and so in the shoulder that simple question opens up the conversation. I punched right. it because I was mad. Why were you mad? I'm mad because I had a bad day at home. Why did you have a bad day at home? I had a bad day at home because my mom yelled at me. Why is your mom yell? Because she, she's tired. Why is she tired? Because she's working so much. Okay. Now we know.
0: Now we're getting that to some,
2: somewhere. Yeah. We're getting to something, right? We're asking actual questions.
0: Mm-hmm. Now
2: that home situation could be any number of things, but now we know, like we have an idea of why that mindset was. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? it's we are all trying to make it in this fucked off place that we call america and we're all trying to do it in the best way that makes the most sense that keeps us safe and safety looks different to everybody right and because safety looks different to everybody there are different ways to go about doing it because we don't have a system in place to make sure that we're taken care of we can fit all these other systems in the place but we don't have the one in place to make sure that this makes me emotional, but to make sure that we're okay. And that's a problem.
0: Yeah, it's an, it's an, a horrible problem.
2: Yeah. We should not be so quick to toss people aside or discard people because we don't want to do that work. And what like, you know, you can make the statement of is it so hard to ask somebody what they need? Sometimes it is because sometimes it can tap into, um, you know our own emotional labor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that's why we have specialists. You know, that's why we have therapists. That's why we have sex therapists. That's why we have sex educators. That's why we have teachers. That's why we have professors. um So that you know we have access to that. But if we just took just even a minute to talk to somebody and find out why they're like what decisions are making, you know, then th- th- there's just so much difference that can be made. And it's the same thing as when people are leaving. Another thing that we do with Black and Pink is. Um, we have what we call light in house here, where we house uh, individuals that have been released from prison that don't have access to housing otherwise. And that is something that's also so important too. It ties into Opportunity Campus, which will be the same thing for youth. It's queer system impacted youth will be able to house 10, 10 kids that have been released from juvenile detention centers that don't have access to housing. They've probably been um, removed from their own homes for whatever reason. But that even even that small piece, that housing portion,
0: mm-hmm. is huge, right? Right. All if of if somebody's
2: been to... in prison for two years, that becomes that that becomes their house. That's yeah, their exactly. housing,
0: right? Right. Yeah. If you set them up with a foundation for when they are able to be released, then it's probably a lot gives them a lot better chance of not
2: going back. Exactly. Uh, are you familiar with what the, what the procedure looks like when you leave prison?
0: Um, only what I've seen on, uh, Orange is the New Black, so no. <laughs> <laughs> that's about the extent.
2: <laughs> oh, that's outstanding, actually. Um, so in most what places, I, I mean, I don't know. Oh my God. I love okay. Wentworth. And I have, I, oh my God, that's such a, such an internal battle to love that show, but I do. Um, what happens when somebody leaves prison and it it varies from state to state and it varies from facility to facility but you leave with the clothes on your back um and depending again on what facilities allow some will allow you to purchase your own clothing so that you can have x amount of quote-unquote outfits to wear that aren't the prison issued but Mm -hmm. if you don't have access to that and the only money that you've quote-unquote made is 18 cents a day that you're working then you probably just have prison prison-issued clothes so you leave with that. And in the state of Nebraska, if you have money on your books, meaning money that you've earned from working or money that people have sent to you, they give you a check and you take that with you. If you don't have access to that, then you get a check for a hundred dollars. Hmm. And then it was a bus ticket. I would have to do more research, but it still might be a bus ticket. So a hundred dollars, the close on your back and a bus ticket is what is provided to the people when they leave prison. Why the fuck do we expect them to know what resources are available. How is that setting anybody up for success and not just saying, see you later?
1: The other kind of clincher, I don't know if it's there too, but I know here in California that I noticed that they'll do, and it's kind of weird, is that they'll do all that. And then a lot of times they will only release them, but they can't live in the county where they grew up or where their crime was committed. So now you're taking these, you know, people who they don't have the skills that weren't, that weren't taught to them. You're putting them in a completely different county. They can't live with any family members because they can't be back where the crime was committed. And now they're having a hard time even getting a job right. because of their criminal record. And now they're having to find new housing because they can't live with any family and in a town with no friends and no support and no nothing. And just like, OK, good luck. Good luck making it. You right, know, and, and I get on one hand, the thought is, let's not put them back in the same or let them go back to the same county because that's where the, you know, they're, the, it's too high risk of a situation because of their friends and they're this and they're that. But you've also robbed them of their whole entire support system. So the, that you're, right you're, you're setting them up to fail no matter
2: what. That's exactly, that's exactly it. So you have something that can't, it that's not the case here there are a lot of um depending on like the the contingencies on when you're released if you're released on parole then obviously it's a little bit different if you're just released because you've served your time then the state really doesn't care about where you go unless it's like a sex offense and you have the registry all that other stuff so access to housing um leaving without any access to it without making sure that okay when this person leaves they have a place to go live and they have a safe place to go live then we are left up to devices again. It becomes uh, that matter of survival. You can't get a job without an address. Um, you can't get a house without a job. You oftentimes can't get a house with a criminal record. So we're stuck. We're, we're sticking people in this vacuum of, I have, I have not given you any access to any resources to make sure that you're okay. So mm-hmm. The first thing that people will do is figure out how to survive. How can I make sure that I'm okay? How can I make sure that I'm going to make it till tomorrow? And the easiest thing to do is to fall back on what worked before and hope that the results are different this time. Yeah. Yeah. If we want to know why people keep reoffending, the majority of it is because we're not actually making sure that they have the tools that are needed when they leave. The tools are, and it's again, beyond just housing and even like a job, but the tools of what happened, what, what didn't I pay attention to in my life? Why, why am I making these decisions? You know what I mean? So all of those tools have to be addressed.
0: Right. The mental and And emotional support. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think yes. this is an amazing idea, and I'm definitely going to um, go to blackandpink.org and check it out, and um, we'll definitely yes. include links to everything and get some more information from you, um, but thank you Me for do. taking the time to explain all this and, and kind of give us some insight into this really huge, huge issue that we have here in this country.
2: Yeah, it's it's a large one, and it's it's not easy to talk about by any means, because it shakes up a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff. Um, But it needs to be talked about. And yes, please check out blackandpink.org. If anybody would like to email me with questions, my email is Portia at blackandpink.org. And I would love to field them if I can kind of the same rules that I said before, like it's it's emotional labor, but I usually have the space for it. But these kind of questions, If I don't have the answer, I can get you the resources, but I would love for this to be talked about more. Because I think the more that we talk about it, um, the more it starts to make sense, you know, the more it's like, oh, okay. Okay, Mm -hmm. this is what we're actually trying to do. And it becomes more than just those words of abolish the presence.
0: Right, exactly. I know I learned a whole lot um, about this because at first I was like, how is this, what is this even going to look like? Um, But it makes sense. It makes sense and it sounds
2: doable. Mm -hmm. It is. It's, I think, and I think a good way to like, leave this with people for like, to think about is it's a system that's in place to oppress people. Right. And if abolishing prisons is too big to think about, but breaking down oppression isn't, then start with that thought, that mindset.
0: Thanks for listening to Grabbing the Mic with Nikki Judge and Friends. Tune in weekly for new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Visit us at dgfgllc.com for new updates, sign up for the Grab in the Mic newsletter, and links for the podcast merchandise. Yep, we are still in the pandemic, requiring remote schooling and remote work. How are those earphones for you and the kids working out? Looking to spoil yourself with some new headphones? Maybe replace or upgrade from what you're currently using? Well, Amazon is currently offering Apple AirPods with wireless charging case for $159, which is $40 off of the regular price of $199. So go ahead and click on the links in the podcast episode bio. You can also find us on Facebook at Do Good Feel Great or on the web at dgfgllc.com in the podcast section to take advantage of this special deal.